This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 182, exploring the Shiva Sutras. I know you've heard of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, maybe even the Bhagavad Gita, but what about other traditional yogic and philosophical texts? If you're curious about ancient wisdom and you want to expand your spiritual practice and consciousness, today's episode is for you. For today's episode, I sat down with Harshada David Wagner. Harshada is a master meditation teacher, author, artist, dad, and wisdom teacher with more than 25 years of experience. Classically trained in the wisdom tradition of yoga, bhakti, vedanta, and tantra, his teachings come from his decades of working with people, helping them learn to live a more fulfilling, soul-centered, purpose-driven lives. The Sanskrit name Harshada was given to him by Guru Mai, Chit Vila Sananda in 1996, and it means the bringer of joy, laughter, and delight. Harshada is a teacher of applied yoga philosophy, where he offers teachings and practices from the yoga tradition, but he focuses on the one that really help people to get free, to transform their experience, and serve the world in a better way. He's known as a down-to-earth, light-hearted teacher who is able to help people get into the deep stuff fast. He offers a balance of grounded, approachable style of teaching with the most profound ancient wisdom and classical mystic practices. He's a dynamic speaker and storyteller, and he's considered one of the best meditation teachers of his generation. He's the author of the men's book, Backbone, and... On the Feel of Dharma, which is a book about the Bhagavad Gita, and is currently working on the modern translation and commentary of the 10th century tantric text known as the Shiva Sutra. And this is why I wanted to sit down with him to chat about this particular text. He is a proud father of two and lives with his family in Ojai, California, where he is when he's not traveling and offering retreats and seminars around the world. If this episode helps you in any way, if it inspires you in any way, share it to inspire and help someone else on their journey. Leave a review on iTunes for them to find this episode or the podcast in general and share one of your takeaways on social media. I always love to read your takeaways on the episode. So as you take a screenshot of the episode and you share something, make sure to tag at on and off your mat podcast so I can see it. All right, if you're ready to start recognizing and realizing your true nature, your divine self a little bit more, let's get to today's episode with Harshada. Hi, Harshada. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me today. So happy to be here today. For listeners that don't know you very well, can we start by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your yoga spiritual journey, just the cliff notes? <laughs> I know it could be a big story. Yeah, it is kind of a big story. Yeah, so I live here in Ojai, California. I'm a dad. I have two kids. I have an 11-year-old son and an 8-year-old daughter. And I am a visual artist and a teacher of applied yoga philosophy. So what that means is I'm mostly known really as a meditation teacher, but I teach the teachings of yoga the mystical teachings of yoga, and serve as kind of a spiritual counselor or spiritual midwife, people have called what I do. <laughs> I like that. So we use spiritual teachings and practices, but really specifically only ones that help people in their life 
in their journey as it is. And I myself have been practicing and studying yoga now for many, many years. I really started when I was a teenager. Mm. I'm 51 now. (laughs) So I'll let you do the math. But that has included many years of formal training, uh, you know, in ashram life, you know, for basically being a monk for many years. And also many years living in the world, teaching in the world, uh, taught in New York City for about a decade and really working with people who are living lives and also trying to be on a spiritual path, a serious spiritual path, you know, like Mm -hmm. whether that's a path of healing, a lot of us have a lot of healing that we need to do, or whether people are more traditionally in search of spiritual awakening, enlightenment, and in ways that for me personally, I get bored really easily. And I think of myself as not a typical meditation student or somebody who I don't like to be quiet. You know, like I take mm-hmm. up a lot of space, uh, <laughs> so to speak. And so the people that I tend to work with that are part of my community also are not typical, you know, new age spiritual students. That's the kind of very short cliff notes of it. And I make paintings and also pretty dedicated visual artist as well. Love it. So since you teach applied yoga philosophy, I wanted to talk to you about today one particular aspect of yoga philosophy that we have never talked about on this podcast and that Mm. I honestly haven't heard about quite a lot in general. So it feels new newish to me and definitely yeah. new to our listeners. So yeah. I wanted us to talk about the Shiva Sutras. Ooh. So for listeners that have never even heard that word before, like they know the other yoga sutras, you know, the Patanjali yeah. one, and they yeah. know some other texts, but not this one. Could we start with a quick introduction, kind of overview of what it is and maybe yeah, what yeah. are the key principles that are yeah. in this? Yeah, I love talking about the Shiva Sutra. I'm currently uh, translating the Shiva Sutra and writing applied yoga philosophy commentary to it. Amazing. Um, Perfect. Yeah. So the Shiva Sutra, it's an early tantric text. Mm -hmm. So tantra, in the way that I'm talking about it, is one of the youngest old yoga philosophies. So oldest ones are, you know, the Upanishads and Vedanta, and then later... Bhagavad Gita, Sankhya philosophy, it's called Yoga Sutra, kind of comes from that. And then later comes this particular area of Tantra, the Shiva Sutra come from. So Shiva Sutra come from around six or 700 AD, and they were attributed to a sage called Vasagupta. The text deals with how divine consciousness ultimate consciousness, behaves in a human's consciousness, and the path to realize our divine consciousness as human beings. Mm, Just that. Mm, (laughs) So juicy. (laughs) And it is. We could talk about it, but sutra just means aphorism. So yoga sutra is the aphorisms about, in that case, really meditation, it's what the Yoga Sutra are about. Bhakti Sutra are the aphorisms about devotional practice. And there are others. And the Shiva Sutra 
are the aphorisms. They're not about Shiva in the sense of like the Hindu god Shiva. Mm -hmm. The deity of Shiva. The tantrics use Shiva as a name of the ultimate reality. So the Shiva Sutra is a text about relating to the ultimate reality. So if we look at that particular aspect, like if we just start with that general knowledge of it, then how do we use this text to apply it to our practice of yoga, of meditation? Yeah. Before we get into everyday life, let's start there. Yeah, yeah. Well, The way that a lot of the sacred texts work is the main teaching is in the first sutra. And your readers might know this. So many texts are this way, and the Shiva Sutra is like this too. So the Shiva Sutra begins with the first sutra in Sanskrit. It says, Chaitanya Atma. And what this translates as is the soul, Atma, is Chaitanya. It's divine consciousness. And so it's making this declaration right in the beginning of like, this is what you are. Mm -hmm. You are eternal, supremely free, loving, divine consciousness. And that is what our most basic essence is that. And then the second sutra says, and this is how it applies to us. It says, Yanam Bandaha. Yanam means knowledge or wisdom. And Bandaha means bondage. So it's oftentimes translated as knowledge is bondage. So Chaitanya Atma Yana Bandaha. My teacher, who's a little bit eccentric, he says, you don't need any other scriptures, any other teachings than Chaitanya Atma, the soul's consciousness, Yana Bandaha, knowledge is bondage. And, and basically what it's saying, Erica, is what so many of the texts are saying which is, here's the ultimate teaching. We are this free divine consciousness. But it doesn't feel that way when I wake mm -hmm. up in the morning. It doesn't feel that way when I'm trying to have a relationship. It feels like I'm not divine consciousness. It feels like I'm this limited guy. It feels mm -hmm. like I'm, you know, I yeah. don't feel divine consciousness. I feel like an asshole. <laughs> you know? So like, why does that, how does that, like, and, how, people, and how can I get back to mm -hmm. that? So that's the basic promise or the basic premise of Shiva Sutra. Mm -hmm. Everything so then, else next is like an expansion of those first two teachings. Yeah. So then it tells you how, how to do that, how to get back to that. So what would be a way or some ways to apply yeah. this concept and start to take action, to remember, to reconnect to that version of ourselves, to realize our own true nature? What yeah. do we do? Yeah. Well, in the second chapter, so the first chapter sets up these, you know, very, very high lofty teachings and really describes the state of an enlightened being. The second chapter starts to get into, and this is how we practice. And it has that same thing. You know, the first teaching is the main one and then the rest are commentary. So the second chapter starts with Chittam Mantraha. Chittam means the mind. And mantraha means mantra. So it sometimes is translated as the mind is mantra. It doesn't mm. say that. It just says mind mantra. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. And then the second sutra in the second chapter, it says prayatna sadaka. So sadaka is the serious practitioner. It's like someone who is 
on the path to awaken. They're not just mm-hmm. dabbling. They're committed. They're committed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Prayatna means concerted effort. But the way that I translate it is like a priority. Mm. So what it's saying is, is a sadhaka is someone whose spiritual life and practice is a priority. Mm-hmm. And that that prioritized practice can be effective. In the sutra before it, Chitta Mantraha, it kind of flags that mantra practice is a main practice that is talked about in Shiva Sutra. And there are several really cool verses that talk about mantra practice. Mm -hmm. Is it only about like the actual practice of the mantra or the concept of the repetition, the dedication that a mantra asks you, like when you practice it, is it more general of its characteristic or more specific of the practice itself? That's a great question. In all of these other sutras, it's describing how through the process of the mind kind of binding us like glue, like kind of gluing us all together into a person. (laughs) It's very cool, actually. Uh Uh, It's describing all of this. And so we're getting this general idea of how the energies of the world and the energies of the mind kind of make this whole experience of life happen. So then in Shiva Sutra, the mantra practice, it's unique. The mantra, the way that we do it in Tantra is unique to other kinds of mantra meditations. And this comes from Shiva Sutra, but it's like the pulsation of the mantra encapsulates the whole experience of freedom and divine energy. Mm-hmm. And so by putting ourselves into that pulsation of the mantra, I see you're already in that energy. Yeah, you're in that energy, but it's like teaching us to recalibrate ourselves to a totally different level of vibration. Mm-hmm. And also unwind our minds and unwind the whole story that is. Erica and Harshada and what all of this means and what the limitations of life are and the limitations of the world are and all of that stuff we live in. We're so tight. All the glue that keeps us stuck. All the glue that keeps us stuck. Exactly. Uh-huh. And the mantra becomes like a solvent to loosen that glue. Love it. Yeah. I love it. Mantras are so powerful. Like I totally can understand and relate to that idea. So that's definitely one practice that we can bring in to tap into that self-realization or that remembrance of our soul is divine consciousness because we can tap into that energy through the sound and the vibration. How else can we bring that in in the way we practice or in the way we are showing up in the world? One of, in that same chapter that talks about the mantra, I mean, all the chapters talk about mantra, but in that second chapter, there's a verse that says Guru Upaya. And Upaya means means or remedy. Sometimes it just means practice. But so Guru Upaya is like saying that the remedy is the Guru. And it's bringing into all these verses are very, very mysterious because they're all just like a couple of words, really not meant to be just studied like you'd study a cookbook or something like that. They're meant to be jumping off. Contemplated. Yeah. In a jumping off place for a conversation with a teacher, really, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it says Guru Upaya. And so it brings in this whole idea of, yes, having teachers 
you know, with a lowercase t. If somebody is a really serious sadhaka, they should probably have a teacher with a capital T, like mm-hmm. an actual mass, somebody who has attained some mastery, who can really like be in there and help them. But beyond that, it's Guru Upaya is tapping us into what's called the Guru Principle, which is just an energetic principle of of wisdom, of knowledge, of that mm-hmm. guru within, of all these things that are not the external yep. teacher, right? Yeah. And specifically going from bondage to liberation, specifically like the process of metamorphosis. There's another yeah. text, Guru Gita, that says the meditation of the disciple on the guru is like the meditation of the worm on the wasp, or it could say the caterpillar on the butterfly, same idea. Mm-hmm. But that thing of the guru is the worm and the wasp, the caterpillar and the butterfly are the same thing. But at these two different stages, they're totally different things. Yeah. But everything that is in the butterfly is there in the caterpillar already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although if you took the caterpillar and took it all apart and looked at it, you wouldn't find any butterfly there. (laughs) And if you took apart the butterfly and looked at it, you wouldn't find any caterpillar there. So that's the guru. So it's like saying that the practice, I mean, and there's a huge tradition in India of having a teacher and serving a teacher and spending time with the teacher and all of that. And we have, you know, like I have a picture of my teacher, you know, here, that's a whole piece of it, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's like as a practice to allow for the vision of like radical transformation. To like mm-hmm. allow for the possibility within ourselves that we're in a process of metamorphosis, but that we are not going to arrive at the destination because we are going to get, as Ramdas says, like crisped. We're going to get burned up in the process. He calls it the crisping process. We're not mm-hmm. actually going to get there. It's such a deep transformation. So it's like, and this is radical for us today because nowadays, It's more common for people, and this is totally great and totally fine and not putting it down at all, but it's much more common for people to think, I'm good, good the way that I am, but I want to be a little calmer, or I'm good the way I am, but I want to be a little bit shinier or whatever. And so like, let me take some spiritual practices and kind of like tune myself up with it. What it's saying in this case, in the vision of the Shiva Sutra is it's not that. This is the thing of like how people actually come into embodying Shiva Drishti, like Shiva consciousness. Yeah. And within that, the means, the way, the upaya is this thing of like total transformation is very cosmic and psychedelic in a certain way. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm having like side thoughts and questions on other discussions that I feel like could relate to this, but I'll put them aside for now. That really makes me like not only is that the teacher and the support is part of the tools, but also that knowing that there is whatever will bring you from like the darkness to the light, right? And like that's the goal and that's the path. And it's not just can I be 5% better and feel 5% better and sleep 5% better? It's can I become this whole new version of myself when when I look back, I don't recognize who I used to be. Mm. And this is so like, for me anyway, this is so exciting and so inspiring. Like, yeah. Mm. (laughs) So we talked about a couple of times you mentioned Shiva and Shiva consciousness. 
And of course, within this and Tantra, there's kind of interplay between Shiva and Shakti and that, that energy. How are both of them integral into that liberation, into that transformation? Yeah. Well, in Tantra, so we talk about Shiva and Shakti. And one of my teachers, you know, would always say that we talk about Shiva and Shakti. We talk about Vimarsha, Prakasha and Vimarsha. Prakasha is like the light and Vimarsha is the awareness of the light. In the older philosophies, there's Purusha and Prakriti. And he would always say that we talk about these as two different things, only for the sake of talking about them, that they're actually the same. They are one thing, but with these two different aspects. So with Shiva and Shakti in particular, in the view of Tantra in this sense, is it's not a male and female thing. That's something that has come later into what we call Neo-Tantra mm-hmm. and work in polarity between masculine and feminine energies. That discussion is not there in the old teachings. In the old teachings, what it really is, it's the static and the dynamic. It's the being, the Shiva, and the becoming is the Shakti. And in particular- the energy behind, like- yeah, it's the energy that enlivens it. So yeah. let me see if I could do this without burning myself and spilling wax on everything. But like I'm I'm holding a candle here. What they'd say is that like if Shiva is the flame, Shakti is the light and the heat and the dancing of the flame. It's the expression of it. And you can't take away the light and the heat. Still There's be- no flame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't take away the flame and still have the light and the heat. That's how integral they are with mm. you know each other. So within practice, then it gets a little bit I don't know, dumbed down, but I think it's a useful dumbing down, which is that like we follow the Shakti or we follow the energy, especially in meditation practice or mantra practice, where we're repeating the mantra to get in touch with the energetic pulsation of the mantra. In the same way that the heat or the light will take you to the flame, so that pulsation, that energy, the Shakti will take you to the Shiva, will take you to that experience of the source with a capital S. I mean, this is very esoteric stuff, so I try to like keep it as short as possible. <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, I love these conversations. And the other episodes we have done on yoga philosophy were very liked and enjoyed. So I'm not worried about our listeners. They've been on this journey with me for five years. And so they could take it. Great. So cool. <laughs> Otherwise, they can reach out with questions and yeah, we'll, we'll you know. continue this conversation online. It's all good. All right. So understanding that and the recognition of self and the liberation, like those are all very common themes in all yoga philosophy and all these ancient texts. What is fundamentally different about this one? Is there something that really sets it apart? Well, I think that Tantra in particular, classical Tantra in particular, is set apart and we don't catch it. It's set apart because it's really intended to be part of a whole life Mm -hmm. as opposed to part of a monastic existence. And the reason we don't catch it is because we're almost none of us are leading a monastic existence. And compared to the days of the scriptures, even modern day monks are not really leading a monastic existence. Mm. 
you know, interesting. We're, we're kind of in between in some ways because we're not like the ancient non-monks, the ancient householders. We're not like them, but we're also not like the ancient monks. We're somewhere in between most modern sadhakas. So even if we're studying something that is monastic, like Patanjali Yoga Sutras, that was written for men who mm-hmm. were celibate. That was written for young celibate men. That wasn't written for anyone else than that. Yeah, on a very particular path with a very particular yes. life. <laughs> yes, and with a particular outcome, which is something that you can't experience if you're not sitting with your eyes closed meditating. Yeah. Um, the whole text is just about that experience, actually. But because without even knowing it, modern seekers take everything from this tantric point of view, then we're taking Patanjali and we're applying it to our life. And we're taking the Yama and Niya. I'm teaching a course on Yama and Niyama right now. We take those and we make those about life instead of in Patanjali. It's just about preparing you to meditate. Uh-huh. Shiva Sutra is a little bit different because Shiva Sutra is so proto. It's the earliest of those tantric texts. But tantric practice of philosophy in general is made to be one that doesn't negate the experience of relationship or pleasure or you know, family life or, you know, being fully expressed. I mean, you could take any teaching and make it anything. But the reason why I like Tantra and teach mostly from a Tantra point of view is that it's just that I think that nowadays the goal of spirituality is largely external. It's that, you know, so much of it is really being a fully expressed human being. And, you know, I think it's as important for people to dance as it is for them to meditate honestly. Mm -hmm. And in Tantra is something that is set apart because in its DNA, it is made that way. As like a core fundamental. Yeah. You're embracing embracing life. You're embracing exuberance. You're embracing fire. I mean, you're coming up with better and better, stronger and stronger containers for it, (laughs) but it's not something where we're trying to make ourselves quiet or less or reductive or you know, trying to make ourselves into something, you know, that is stiller. It ultimately it's expensive, very expensive instead. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So if people are listening and they're like, okay, I understand the idea that, you know, there's this pulsation or vibration of the divine consciousness and it is what I am and I am all of this. What if I don't feel it? What if I'm disconnected from it? Like, how do we even start at the beginning for like, I am a practitioner, but I've been focusing on movement or quiet meditation or other types of devotional practice. And I am not quite in tune with what that even feels like. What if I sit in mantra and I don't know, am I doing this right? Like, how do we connect and feel and know that energy if we're a little bit more stranger to it? Well, first of all, is to have a lot of self-love and a lot of self-forgiveness and understand that it's always like that. That's just the way that it is set up. There's a story where it's a Zen story, but a master and his disciple are on a silent retreat and they're walking. And every once in a while, they'll stop walking and have tea and speak a little bit. They're walking and they stop. And the disciple asks the master, master, where do I enter Zen? (laughs) Meaning like the state. (laughs) And the master says, and asks the disciple, can you hear the sound of that distant stream? And the disciple gets really quiet and listens. 
He says, yes, I can. He says, you enter Zen there. Meaning like in that state of like listening and getting more and more sensitive to be able to catch it. So then they get up and they walk some distance and they stop the next time. And the disciple says, I have a question from the last time. He said, what if I would have said, no, master, I can't hear the stream. And the master said, answer is the same. You enter Zen there. Mm, Love it. Yeah. So, you know, it's understanding that, first of all, it's going to be subtle. And if it's not subtle, it's probably not safe. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, you can go to a neo-tantra workshop and stir up all kinds of sexual energy and connect to that or, you know, use drugs or plant medicine or something and stir it up all that way and connect to it. But in the tradition of classical tantra, it's really about like starting and just like finding threads and Mm -hmm. gradually building the strength of the subtle body and the strength of our inner being to be able to do it, but just like really taste by taste. I love that reminder because I think we tend to be impatient, generally speaking as humans, right? And it's the same on their spiritual path. Like we don't want to just focus on the little thread. We want the big you know, spontaneous liberation. We want the big picture, intense transformation that's awakening that might resemble that in one moment, everything changes. But oftentimes that is not the safe way (laughs) to do it. Or it's just not sustainable. It just goes away just as fast as it comes. Yeah, because it's too hard to integrate. Like you might have an experience for a very short amount of time, but then you can't relate back to it. You can't integrate it. You can't make it make sense in your physical being yeah. and in your everyday life. Exactly. Yeah. There is something in the Shiva Sutra about spontaneous liberation, about like the liberation being or potentially being completely effortless and like instantaneously the shift of like mentality of like achievement versus like it's always been here and it's yeah. always been part of you. I think that, you know, within Chaitanya Atma, That is the teaching is that you're already there. Mm -hmm. It's just Yana Bandaha, you're glued together in a different way of being. But I'm not sure if this is what you're referring to, but you know, there is this idea of upaya. This is very cool, actually, even if this isn't what you're asking. I think this is interesting. So the Siva Sutra is in these three chapters. The first one, Shambhava Upaya, is like the divine means or the means of Shiva. The first chapter is kind of describing that kind of ultimate state, you know, the highest state. It's describing it. The second chapter is Shaktopaya, which is the Shakti Upaya or the Shakti way, which is talking about working with consciousness to get there. The third chapter is called Anavopaya, which is the individual means, the individual Upaya, or like how to practice and like how to do it. And practice is always like that. And we as practitioners are always doing all three. So Anavopaya, we sit down, we go to practice. Shaktopaya, and then in practice, we're relaxing this, we're tuning into that, we're adjusting this, we're working with the energy, hopefully, so that Shambhavopaya, we will tap into that nature that was already there. Right. So there's Anava, Shakta, and Shambhavopaya. I think that's super cool. 
and that they're not progressive, like, okay, this person for the first five years practices this, and Mm -hmm. then they graduate to that. For every practitioner, no matter what level we're on, all three are in the mix, depending on where we're at in a given day. There's a fourth upaya, which is called anupaya, which means the minimal effort. Like it doesn't mean no effort, but it means just like the subtlest, 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 tiny smidgen of effort. And that is just remembering. It's like, oh, there I am. Bam. You know, and it's so cool because some days it's like that, like after practice and initiation and like some days it's just a matter of like, okay, here I am. Some days, like in my practice, what I do is I sit down and I'm like, okay, how much am I one with everything right now? (laughs) Totally. Great. I'm going to sit here and enjoy this. Just like, let this just move through all of my cells and just groove in this. Okay. I'm not so much, you know, like, so what do I need to do? Uh, Let me, you know, work with the mantra. Like, let me see. There's this fight I had with my partner and that's still kind of like this energy still there. Let me move that out. You know? Okay, cool. Okay. Now I'm there. And sometimes it's just like, Oh, my kids are driving me crazy. I'm a mess. I'm like contracted, like a fucking cashew nut right now. And I just need to sit down and take out my mala. I don't have any time. We do 108 repetitions of the mantra and just pray for relief. Mm. And, you know, like if I can move the needle 5% from insanity (laughs) to love again, that's worth doing, you know? Uh Uh And it's like, it's all good. It's like, it's all worth doing. Yeah. Yeah. And every day is different, no matter how committed and how, you know, what's been your path as a practitioner. Some days you're going to be right into it. You're going to get up and be like, wow, life is beautiful. (laughs) I am divine. Everything is good. We've got bodies. We've got hormones. We've got astrology that goes into the factor of it. We've got the world that we live in. So many things. Yeah. We are always Shiva no matter what. We are always Chaitanya Atma no matter what. But sometimes as Chaitanya Atma, we're really acting like assholes. Or experiencing ourselves that way. And mm-hmm. and there's really some, you know, adjustments to make. And it's all good. Yeah. And we're experiencing the world that way too. Because if we are, the world is and everybody else is as well, right? So there's I- this remembering too that like sometimes we feel like such victims or like we're blaming a lot of what's happening on the world on other people. But it's a good practice to just you are it and everything else is as well. And that could be very difficult to like make peace with. So difficult. And that's one of the things, that's another one of those really special factors about Tantra is that, you know, one of the Shiva Sutra says, as here, so is elsewhere. And the model of it is, is we learn how to unwind that knot within ourselves first. Mm -hmm. And then through that process, we can extrapolate it to everything because everything is in that same position. We understand it. We have an experience of it now. Yeah. Everything is divine consciousness crushed into a form. And whether that form is a palm tree, I'm looking at a palm tree right now, or whether that form is a wonderful, beautiful, lovely person, I'm looking at you on the screen right now, or whether the form is, you know, some racist, contracted, toxic character. You know, mm-hmm. same thing. He's just like the palm tree. He's yeah. just like my own heart that will take on this distressing disguise 
but ultimately it is also that. So it has the potential to change everything. I think it changes everything in the way you show up with people and your level of compassion and understanding or just giving the benefit of the doubt in a way and be like, yeah. okay, you're a human too. And I know you're doing your best, although you're coming off as not. I know it's yeah. all coming from, you know, that we are the same. And yeah. yeah. And even if it just gives us the flexibility and kind of the lubrication to just keep moving. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there's that. something and we're just like, oh, but this just is- Just to let it go. Oh, yeah. And just like, you know what? I'm just going to keep on moving down the road right now. That in and of itself can be a superpower. True. I feel like we can chat for a long time, but honor your time. I'm going to start wrapping this up. Is there anything you want to add before we finish? Is there like one takeaway for listeners? What would that be? Don't do it alone. You know, it's like, it's great to have resources like podcasts and, you know, so much media that we can connect to in our house or in our headphones, but serious work is really meant to be done with other seekers and with supervision of teachers and, and people that can help you. And it just makes it so much more enjoyable, mm -hmm. but also it really is the secret to making all this stuff be effective. And it's also more powerful because now you're like amplifying that energy within that group. You're not just tapping into that vibration within yourself, but like with how many yeah. people that are around the room with you, you can feel that yeah. difference. It's absolutely yeah. noticeable. Yeah. There's yeah. Power in that. And it saves us from getting into self-deception, you know, which is a big issue in practice nowadays because people don't work with teachers or they don't necessarily have anybody kind of checking their bullshit <laughs> to just say it in a simple way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so true. Oh, all right. I'll put all your information in the show notes, but in the meantime, for people listening, what's the best place to find you if they want to work with you in some way, study with you in some way, yeah. or just come and say hello? I think Instagram is probably the most readily available. It's just Harshada Wagner, and you can see how to spell it in the show notes. From there, you can find my art too. That's a separate Instagram, but you can get to all of that from my main one. And when is the Shiva Sutra book coming out? What's the oh, plan on this project? It will come out in 2023. Yeah, I'm planning to have it like done, written uh, this summer and then come out later in the year. Okay, amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time today. It was a lovely conversation. Yeah, it was so fun. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you haven't already done so, please leave a review for this episode of the podcast in general on iTunes. If this episode has inspired you or helped you, you can pass it on and help someone else find it by leaving your review. Plus, when you leave your review to say thank you, I give you access to our premium membership for free for a full month. All you have to do is send me a screenshot of your review and we'll get you all set up. You'll find the show notes for this episode at ericabelanger.com slash 182. Before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to the growing team behind this podcast for their support in making this possible. And that includes all our premium members. Once again, thank you for listening. See you next Monday.